In this day and age, we are all hard-pressed to not know or love or care about somebody who's been diagnosed with dementia or Alzheimer's. And today I have an expert here to talk with you about how you can effectively deal with that dangerous diagnosis. Welcome to Change Agents, brought to you by Lisa Dunn with Remax Results. Lisa is a licensed real estate agent and senior real estate specialist in the state of Minnesota. Lisa works with older adults to help them upsize and downsize. And now, here's Lisa Dunn. Welcome to the show. With me, as always, in the studio is the producer here at Minnesota Podcasting, Marshall Saunders. Hi, Lisa. How's it going? I am great, and I am so excited for this next episode. I am, too. This is a subject uh, very close to our family. We have several people with Alzheimer's and uh, who have dealt with that diagnosis, so... Do you know Long that history. I do too? My fa- my uncle, I've got uncles in my family, and I say uncles plural. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to introduce you to Lori LeBay. Lori is a change agent from Minnesota. She's known around the world. When you look at her website, you will see quotes and testimonials from Oprah, Maria Shriver, Dr. Oz, and AARP Minnesota. Um, I like to think that Lori is our own little celebrity when it comes to talking about Alzheimer's. That's for sure. She helped her own mom. She lived with her mom who had dementia for 30 years. And Lori launched Alzheimer's Speaks, an advocacy and multimedia company to give all voices, including those living with a dementia, an opportunity to be heard. Alzheimer's Speaks provides multiple platforms, educating, raising awareness, shifting perceptions, and sharing resources to families and professionals on Alzheimer's disease. So I would like Lori LeBay to talk with us a little bit more about what Alzheimer's Speaks is and what you're up to. First of all, thanks for for having me on the show, Lisa. It's just a pleasure. And for those of you that don't know, I used to sell real estate for 20 five years and was in kind of that that senior market. And it was actually the senior housing people that told me I needed to switch and get my voice heard because I was coming from this place of hope where everything else was doom and gloom. Yeah. My mom had dementia for 30 years. I didn't actually live with her. She lived with me on and off um, and with with my dad, but I was a primary caregiver with with uh, my father. And, you know, we went through all the struggles every family goes through. We had a hard time getting diagnosed. That took 10 years because her primary physician kept telling her it was her hormones. And my mom would say, this ain't my girlfriend's hormones. (laughs) We thought (laughs) this is different. And then by the time she was finally diagnosed, they said, oh, I guess you're right. She's got the mentality of a three-year-old. Don't let her out of your sight. Hmm. So... Through the struggle of feeling isolated and alone, feeling like there wasn't enough resources, um, I switched careers and I made a commitment that I wasn't going to work in a broken system. So that meant not aligning a lot with existing organizations that were out there because I didn't feel that they were meeting the need. 
And this is one of those things where you don't look for services around memory care or Alzheimer's until you need it. And then when you need it, you probably needed it last month. So I just, what a wonderful resource for people. I know a lot with my clients, um, what I hear from them is, you know, we really were thinking about making a move, but my spouse, my loved one, my partner has early onset dementia and thinking about moving seems bigger and scarier now that my loved one has that diagnosis. Um, moving is a big deal anyways. And now couple that with trying to move into a new environment with a loved one, it gets even tougher. And I know that you have walked lots of people through this process. So I'm going to turn it over to you and ask you how, what kinds of advice or tips would you give someone thinking about making a move to a senior housing community if they're moving with someone with dementia or Alzheimer's? Well, first, I would say, if you're thinking about it, don't ignore it. I think that's the biggest thing people do is they push it off and they push it off. And then they're in crisis. And then they go, Lisa, can you help me? (laughs) Yeah, we want them to move when they're thinking about it so that they can move on their own terms and be empowered and make their own decisions instead of having to move under crisis. Definitely. Exactly. And then I think when you're looking at, at making a move, you have to realize that We all make moves throughout our lives using what I call the flick factors. And I don't care what stage of life you're in, you analyze these things. And that is you look at your finances, you focus on what you're going to lose by making a move and what you've lost. Um, And yet you want independence, but you're really fearful of being dependent. And any move you make, typically it's to gain independence. So really focus on that. Focus on the control you're going to have, the comfort by, by living in a place that meets your needs. And maybe that's a place where you and your spouse or, or loved one or partner end up living separately because your needs are different. Because what's at the core is your relationship and you want to be able to maintain that relationship. And not necessarily give up your life, you know, and in your freedoms for somebody else either. And so there's that balance there. Um, and some people say, hey, you know, I, I got married. I'm in this for the long run. We're going to live together. That's fine. But for other people, that doesn't work. And we shouldn't judge that either. And then there is also change, which is just always uncomfortable. And we want to be confident in our move. And so we need to talk with experts. We need to talk with with people like Lisa. You know, she's out there. She's a mover and shaker. She knows what what is available and how the system works. And she has other resources that can help you through the move process. So if you, a lot of times people will stop dead in their tracks because it's just too much work. How do I weed through or this stuff needs fixing? And, And again, a professional you know, like Lisa can can help you through that. And then you also look at the kids. What are their opinions? And you have to be careful with kids because they can be a pro or a con. A lot of times the kids will say, hey, come move by us. And then you're giving up your neck of the woods where you feel comfortable. And if the kids truly aren't going to become incorporated into your lifestyle, now you've moved and you're not familiar with your area, and the kids aren't there like you thought, 
I mean, so you have to have some deep discussions on all of these things and say what is important and what makes up quality of life, not just for a person who has dementia, but for each and every one of us. These are conversations we should all be having so that we know and that we um, we know what somebody wants or doesn't want, you know, in their life. I think a lot of times with caregivers, and I've seen it with my own aunts and uncles, that the thought about moving, um, I'm worried about my loved one's acclimation process. I'm worried about whether you're moving together or one of you has to move into a memory care unit first. Will you just talk about that process and how maybe you have coached some of the families you've worked with or the professionals you've worked with to work with families? And how, how do you... How do you help folks through that process of dealing with the guilt? Guilt is usually something we do to ourselves. It usually isn't something that someone else gives us per se. I mean, we're allowing that to happen. And so we know when we make a promise and if it's broken, you know, we have this thing that kind of plays in our head. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. No, no help me God, you know. <laughs> and, and we have that plane in our head. And yet, it's like, where's the logic? You know, sometimes and, and too often, care partners will end up passing before their loved one because of the stress that's on them in terms of taking care of someone. And that can be physical stress. It can be emotional, uh, you know, stress. I mean, there's, there's lots of different levels. It can be just not sleeping, because their person doesn't sleep during the during the night and they really don't sleep during the day, you know, and so they're constantly worried about maybe them taking off or maybe they have a frontal temporal lobe or Louis bodies where they can have hallucinations and maybe get aggressive. Um, you know, there's a lot of different forms of dementia and we usually talk about Alzheimer's disease, but, you know, any form of dementia takes a toll. You know, when you've got a, a, let's say, and I'll just use, I'll use a couple as an example. And you have split duties. And now all of a sudden your person can't cut the grass. They can't drive. They can't do the banking. They can't take out the trash. They can't do the laundry. They can't cook the food, whatever it might be. Now all of a sudden you're doing it all. And on top of that, you're trying to physically care for them and make sure they're safe. So for me, for example, even though I wasn't living with my, with my mom and dad, um, I was extremely involved. And for example, when my dad died, I didn't know who I was anymore. People go like, what do you like to do? Oh, I couldn't tell you. You know how many years? It's, I, I, that question hasn't come up. That thought's never never entered my mind because there was no time to think about me. And I know a lot of people out there listening know exactly what I'm talking about. And that is not a healthy place to be. And so we have to find <clears throat> balance because we can't give good care if we aren't healthy and balanced ourselves. Um, I don't know about you, but like if I'm tired, I get a little short and snappy. And, you know, I probably am not that much fun to be around. And How I, short or snappy I am probably depends on who you ask. My husband <laughs> yeah. would give you a different answer than one of my girlfriends. <laughs> it, well, exactly, exactly. Or my brothers, like, um, I asked them, why didn't they come around more? And they said, well, you know, you're kind of a control freak. No, no, no. 
I am organized. <laughs> so, so we, so we, That's so right. we have these different perceptions, but they affect how we interact and if we're able to get help. And, and so I think getting involved in some form of support group and one of the uh, ones that I love the most are called a memory cafe. And a memory cafe is for a person with dementia and their care partner. They come together. And I hate to even call it a support group because I think there's stigma attached to that. I know there was for me. Like, are you kidding? I don't have time to do that for them, too. You know, because mm-hmm. that's how I looked at it. It wasn't for me. I was doing it for them. But a memory cafe, um, it pulls people that are going on a similar journey together. And yet it takes a backseat because we talk about all of life. When I had that conversation with my brothers over control freak or organized, <laughs> um, we, we dug in a little bit deeper. And what what really struck me was that conversation came up because I was sharing stories about my parents. And one of my brothers said, where did you get these stories? And I thought, well, I was there. Where do you, where do you think I got them? You know? Mm -hmm. And then my heart just suck thinking, Oh my God, they don't have any of these stories, how much they missed. And so then we dug into why didn't they show up? And that's where the control freak came out. And, and I said, well, you know, you could have mentioned that. <laughs> I said, I'll take some responsibility, but I'm not taking it all because you could have brought that up, mm-hmm. but they didn't want to. And it really made me realize that, you know, what is is as great as we all think we are. No one wants to be stuck with us 24 seven, especially when they don't have a choice. Right. <laughs> so, right. And. And that variety is the spice of life and that everybody has a right to play in that role of caring as long as it doesn't hurt somebody else. I've always thought that there should be resources for younger people in the family, too. You know, uh, there's a lot that focuses on, and rightly so, on the children, right? Because those they usually do, uh, they are the primary caregivers and the primary uh, folks that have to deal with this. But it's such a weird world for the grandchildren, too, to go through this and see their parents stressed out and see their uh, grandparents, who they knew as one person, you know, changing. It can be a very scary process, especially when they get violent or just totally change personalities, there's a grieving process over losing your grandparent the way you knew them, even before they have died. They they grieve that, and they grieve that relationship, especially when it was close. And I think a lot of times the focus is just on the child and the person going through uh, the process and the, the, the person with uh, dementia. And kind of those younger generations are just kind of forgotten about. And I've always felt that there was uh, inadequate resources for that. Do you know of something like that? Or do you work on that in your business? This is something that I, that I saw. I, would, I used to go into school and talk about dementia. And I talked with the, the high school and junior high kids on it. And what was interesting is probably two-thirds of them were had a relative that they were dealing with in their family who had dementia or some other high level need. And what they saw was that the whole family dynamics changed 
but their parents were trying to protect them mm. and they wouldn't talk about it. Right. And the kids really, really wanted to help. So, Lori, one of the things that you talked about was finding memory care and finding the building with the heartbeat that resonates with you as you're out there looking because they are all so different. Do you have tips for families if they're looking for memory care in a senior housing community, a part of a continuum of care, what they might look for or tips on to make sure how it, how it might be a good fit for them? I think it's really important to get references and talk with families that have made the move. Talk with talk with people who who have gone through the process because you know even a raving fan will will tell you you know I would have done this different. You know you don't want anyways. I didn't want. I shouldn't say everyone doesn't, but but I, I you know I want an honest conversation because I know nothing in life is going to be absolutely perfect all the time. And, you know, what do you really appreciate um, about this? A lot of times people will say, well, so-and-so did this. And, and they do this with real estate agents. I remember this back in the day. Well, my Aunt Sally used this person, so I'm going to use them too. Yep. Well, Aunt Sally and you probably have really different personalities and wants and needs. So that may or may not work for you. In some cases it will, but you need to know what is it that you're looking for. And so the first, the first thing you have to do as a family is really sit down and go, and if you can talk with the person with dementia, what do they want? What do they want this home to look like and feel like? You know, are they a walker? Do they need to be able to mobilize and in a safe fashion? Do they like the outdoors? Are they more introverted? Um, you know, if it's a man, you know, does he want to be able to um, have a little workshop area? You know, if it's a woman, you know, maybe she's into knitting or doing other things and I'm really categorizing and I don't mean to, but, you know, you have to, you have to go, what, what is important to this person and how are they going to handle that? Or my, you know, my loved one will get agitated and, you know, what do you do? I don't want you just giving them a pill and drugging them up. How, you know, how are you going to deal with that and how can you help me deal with it better too? Um, ask them what type of support is going to be there for you as a family member. Because I think someone who can honestly answer that is going to have better communication for you and really see you as an intricate part of the team. Where a lot of times families don't feel that. You know, they feel like they've like turned somebody over and now they just have visiting rights and that's it. And you know, a husband or a wife, or, you know, or son or a daughter, that's not how they want to feel. They don't want to feel like a guest per se. And so, you know, figuring out what is it that you need, not just physically, not just financially, but emotionally, what is going to make you feel comfortable in making this type of transition? And what's going to make your person feel comfortable? in this transition. And most people, when they move to a memory care, um, they're going to be upset because it's going to be new. And some communities will say, we don't want you around so that they can get acclimated to the schedule. And families, of course, and, and I was one of them, felt a little paranoid. What are you going to do with them when I'm not? Why don't you want me around? <laughs> and we make it about ourselves. 
and uh, in feeling pushed away. That's just your uh, organi- organized side coming out, Lori. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> Not so, control freak. No. <laughs> well, there's a, there's a balance there, though, I think that needs to be met in terms of communication. Because families also feel horrible when, if their person is struggling and they're coming and visiting every day, then every day when they go to leave, don't leave me, don't leave me, don't, you know, and so then there's that emotional toll and then they walk back into it. So neither of them are getting used to the adjustment. Right. And in it, you know, it can cause more stress. But again, every family is different. Every community is different. I would also ask, um, and I think this is a very important one these days, and you have to kind of roll with the numbers, but ask, how long people have been in key positions because there's a ton of turnover and you could be talking with one set and life is fine. And then where'd they go, you know, and then it's a whole different regime. So what is their philosophy and are they able to keep stable staff? Now with that, I have to preface, it's hard for anybody to keep staff these days because we have a staff shortage. And so, you know, people are kind of, stealing from Peter to pay Paul, you know, (laughs) in terms of, in terms of the shuffle there. But if you can find that, you know, there's been a few key people that have been there for a period of time um, and seem to know people, like when you're walking around, they actually stop and say hi, or they know the other residents and family members names, or even say hi to staff, you know, how pleasant are they? Or are they just in a hurry? Are they looking down at their phone or their clipboard all the time? I think that's going to give you um, good insight. Do they seem calm or do they seem dense? Um, are you getting mixed messages from them as you're talking? But I, I again, I would ask for a reference list and then call them. A lot of times people get the references, but they don't pick up the phone. And they're like, but they gave them to me. Well, you know what? They could be straight out of the telephone book, you know? <laughs> Follow up. Um, really good advice. And Alzheimer's Speaks has become kind of the hub, um, the center of the wheel when it comes to resources and information. And as Lori talked about, um, all of us with the prevalence of dementia, um, all of us have to become a spoke in that wheel to share the resources. So Lori, how do people get a hold of you and how do they find all of the things that you are up to? <laughs> Well, the easiest way is just to go to Alzheimer's Speaks, and I'm going to spell that because a lot of people don't know, and that's just A-L-Z-H-E-I-M as in Mary, E-R-S, and then Speaks, S-P-E-A-K-S.com. And we're in the process of redoing our site, so it's going to be, it's going to be really cool when we're done, but we're probably a, a three months out yet will be my my guess. Um, But if you go to the front page, it's going to give you, um, if there's some events going on, the radio show, the dementia chats, it kind of highlights everything right there. But then if you want to dig deeper, you can go into the projects and initiatives, and there you'll find out information about the Memory Cafe, becoming dementia-friendly. You'll see all of the dementia chats, um, videos there, dementia quick tips. So there's lots of different things there. 
Um, and then we have, um, I used to have a resource directory and that link is no more, but we're working on something that, that that'll be fun to, to um, announce in the future. And then I do a lot of speaking and training. So if um, companies are interested in learning more, or maybe you have a VFW or a church group, you know, anything from conferences to one-on-ones, um, you know, I'm more than glad to talk to people on. I'm in the process of rolling out a new program. It's not on the site yet called Conscious Caring Support that will be more of a kind of coaching and mentoring program. And I want to be able to do that actually for people in transition um, because I think it's a really difficult time for families in transition. So that can be something a, a, an organization can hire me to help their families through um, or people can come on a one-on-one basis with that. But that'll be um, probably before I really roll that out a, a couple months on that um, with the website. So yeah, all kinds of fun stuff. And if you have any listeners that want to be a guest on our show, like Lisa, we talked, I'd love to have you on the show because transition in moves is a huge area of concern. Yeah. And what can people do to plan ahead and, um, you know, chunk it down at times? And then what do they do when they fall in crisis? Yeah. You know, what questions do they ask? Where do they go? And, you know, when we don't get educated, then we're in crisis and we are, you know, our anxiety goes through the roof and we're just lost. We're just lost. Well, thanks for being a compass for people. Lori, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Change Agents and a big thank you to Lori LeBay of Alzheimer's Speaks. If you have a question that you'd like included on an upcoming show, just call us 612-352-9177. Just leave your question there and we'll do our very best to answer it. Also hit subscribe on whatever podcast service you found us on. And please, if you can take a moment to rate and review the show. We're always interested in hearing feedback on how we can make the show exactly what you need. Thanks so much for joining us. And until next time, we wish you the very best. This has been Change Agents brought to you by Lisa Dunn with Remax Results. Lisa is a senior real estate specialist. You can find her online at thechangeagent.net. This podcast was produced by Minnesota Podcasting and recorded in their St. Paul studios. And they can be found online at mnpodcasting.com. The views and opinions expressed on this show are those of the individual participants and may not necessarily reflect the views or opinions of Remax Results or Minnesota Podcasting.